welcome, welcome. Tom and Jan are today in Wichita, Kansas, and they said to say hi to you. Um, they're doing well, and they did say, John, make sure that you tell them we already miss them. So Tom and Jim miss you guys, and um, yeah, so they're doing well. Though, uh, if you don't know, Tom and Jan are the founders of this church, and so they're going to be away for about two months, and um, we'll see them, near, I think, near the end of January. Um, so one of the things that um, we're doing this Christmas season is we, we're, we're celebrating this thing called Advent, which me- literally just means the coming, um, and we're looking forward Um, Advent is a season that God can use in our lives to restore and renew, and we see his spirit coming into our lives in a brand new way. And so that's what we're diving into, and I really believe that this could be the best Christmas ever. It could be the best Christmas ever if we simply acknowledge God's movement. And sometimes we have to back away a little bit, from all the cultural expectations and say, you know what, this Christmas, we actually, we're so, we're constantly running on empty. How do we actually step back and say, how do we move from empty to full in God this Christmas season? So I think this can be the best Christmas ever, um, but sometimes we have to kind of stop just the rat race and slow down and say, God, what are you saying? What are you doing in your church? Oh, by the way, um, I think, I don't know if Josh mentioned it, but tonight there's a Christmas party here, a family Christmas party. Um, we're going to do all kinds of amazing stuff. So that's at 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock. We'd love to have you uh, right here tonight. Um, so today we're looking at this idea of more joy, more joy in our lives and what that looks like. So there was a missionary that was working in the Middle East and... He was driving a Jeep, and as he's driving his Jeep down this road, he sees the, the gas, the gas thing, what's it called? The gas gauge. The gas gauge is dip, dipping low to, I couldn't think of it. Thank you for helping me. The gas gauge is dipping low, and he's thinking, I could make it to the next gas station. But the problem is, he thinks he can make it, but he doesn't, and actually... He's going down the road, and his car's starting to jerk a little, and it just dies as he's on this interstate. Now, the, he knows that the next gas station's only half a mile away, but he can't see it. And there he is. He gets out of the car. He's frustrated with himself. He's with one of his friends. They've been missionaries for years in, in this, this country in the Middle East. And um, finally, he looks in the trunk. There's no gas can. All he has is a little portable toilet for his child, one of those porta potty toilets for little kid training. And so he carries his porta potty half mile down the road, fills it up with gas, and then he walks back to his car. And as he's taking this port- little, little potty and filling up the gas tank, this big Cadillac comes pulling up. And inside the Cadillac were some really wealthy oil, oil sheiks. And so here he is pouring this stuff from this potty into his <laughs> gas tank. And, um, and as he's pouring it, the Cadillac rolls down the windows. And um, from the Cadillac, they say, hey, uh, my friend and I in this car uh, 
although we do not share your religion, we greatly admire your faith. That's wonderful. Okay. If you don't get it, ask me afterwards. But maybe you know what it's like to be running on empty. Do you know what it's like to be running on empty? Like, you're, it's just, you're, you're, hit, you're, you're constantly hitting walls. You, you feel like there's just never enough, and all of life is pulling you in all kinds of different directions. Little gas left in the tank, that needle is bumping up against E. There's no gas station in sight. Your final fumes, you're running on those as you pr press the accelerator and your car just dies. How many people have ran out of gas on the road before? Only, oh, okay. Okay, I've only done it like think, twice, maybe three times. <laughs> I'm always the one that's hopeful. Um, so Advent means coming or arri revi ar arrival, referring to God is a time when we consider four things associated with God that fill our tank. Hope, which Tom did an amazing job talking about hope last week. Peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And those things fill our tank like nothing else. It's amazing how good life is when it's filled with hope, peace, joy, and love, right? Whether or not there's craziness all around you, whether or not you get the job promotion, whether or not you get accepted into grad school, whether or not there's illness that you're facing, whether or not there's family problems. When life is filled with hope, peace, joy, life, love, life is pretty good. And it's almost like you can face what's in front of you. So a guy named Kurt, he grew up in a family loaded with all kinds of toxic levels of everything. Um, yeah, there was mostly judgment and criticism that was pointed towards him as he grew up. And, um, and the issue is he's now a father and he would bring his kids back to his family's house for Christmas. And he didn't really want to expose his kids, but how do you not? And so Kurt has dreaded going home with his to his family's house. His parents have this passive-aggressive approach to making his fi kids feel awful. And so Kurt's home for Christmas and he's like, just, they had just had the dinner meal, and he's frustrated because the parents did a couple little jabs at his kids, and he doesn't really know how to respond or what to do. So he's mildly miserable sitting in the family living room as these dynamics uh, play out, and he's sitting there, and he's staring at the Christmas tree. And as he stares at this Christmas tree, he prays this little prayer. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Basically, whenever you pray that prayer, you're saying, let heaven invade earth. Let the perfectness of heaven come to our current reality and shift the atmosphere. And so he has one of these moments when the atmosphere actually shifts. A little white, heavenly light, it seems like it's emanating from the middle of the Christmas tree. And uh, the room, the colors in the room all start to get more vivid and bright. And he's aware in this moment of God's presence. And he's aware of this thing called joy. In the middle of these family crazy moments where he's so frustrated, he's aware of God's lingering presence and this thing called joy. 
And the crazy thing is it stays with him the rest of the time that he's at his parents' house. Now, experiences like that don't come with words, but sometimes words form around them. It's as if God was calling and telling Kurt, I'm near. My joy is on its way to you. It won't be stopped by any misery that you're surrounded by. My joy is breaking forth in your situation. It's like a life raft in the middle of the storm. It's as if God was telling Kurt that a couple Christmases ago. Now there's something at this time of year that intensifies the busy, draining, rat race quality of life that, have, that has us chronically running on empty. And our situation will not be solved by the latest gadget. It will not be solved by the iPhone 11. It's not going to be, okay? Um, what we need is more of God. And what that means is more of the effects of God on, on our souls. More hope, peace, joy, and love. So today I want us to consider what peeked out at Kurt as he stared at that Christmas tree in that living room. Um, our text is going to be in Romans 14. If you got your Bibles, turn there. So Romans 14, starting around verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing in itself, nothing is unclean in, it, in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. And then Paul says this amazing verse, right? Right, the very next verse, verse 17, Paul says this. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite verses. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now this text comes at the end of Paul's letter to the churches in Rome. And it's, the church in Rome is filled with controversy about who is right about God. And specifically, what's going on, what they're eating, and if they're allowed to eat it or not allowed to eat it, or allowed to drink it or not allowed to drink it. It's as if being right and knowing God are the same thing. And so Paul's trying to navigate that with the church people in Rome. They're falling into judging each other, the bane of religion, a sign of anti-faith, a sign of pharisaical faith, a sign of fake faith. This idea of picking each other apart, judging their brother or sister for what they're eating or drinking. And then Paul says this, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. And we think, doesn't everybody know that? Well, they didn't 2,000 years ago. It was not settled yet. A group of them are committed to God's law in the Old Testament, which says stay away from idols and 
yet some of them have been eating meat sacrificed to idols and drinking wine once offered to the gods. Some are eating foods declared that the Bible says are unclean. Still wrestling with what Jesus said, that all foods are now clean in Mark 7, 19. They're still perplexed by Peter's controversial vision at this point about all these animals being let down on a sheet. And, um, and these animals now, according to this vision, are now clean instead of unclean. And uh, um, they're told, he's told to rise and eat. Now this is in reference to people, not animals, but people were thought to be unclean. And all of a sudden, God's accepting them. So Peter's eating with those previously excluded sinners because Jesus is redefining who is clean and who is unclean. You guys, that's really good news for sinners. Like me and you, right? That's really good news for us. All of this is still getting worked out in the church in Rome, as it's getting worked out in the church today. So I don't know about you, but... um, we, we wrestle with the kingdom of God is not a matter of food, food nor drink. We, we wrestle with that. Um, so I grew up in a family, and I remember my parent, my mom loved to cook meat extra, extra well. And she always said, it, she always said well, I don't want you to eat, drink, I don't want you to drink blood, because the Bible forbids you drinking blood. And I always thought that that was really good and important and I didn't want to drink blood. I was always af- almost afraid of blood. You know, I didn't want to, you don't want to disobey the Bible or God. And so one time I was at my aunt, my aunt's house in Chicago. And my aunt gave me this plate and it had this uh, medium steak. And I cut into it and I saw the red blood dripping out. And my heart sank. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to sin. But my, my aunt made me this. But maybe I should just test it and try it. And I remember I added a little bit of salt. And I put that medium steak piece in my mouth. And it was like, it was heaven. Rainbows <laughs> and unicorns. It was like I tasted beef for the first time in the world. Now, Mom, if you're listening to this, I love you. But... But in those moments, I, I thought that, that it was a sin, and yet, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. Uh, let me tell you another story. I was in Nottingham, England. Nottingham, England, at a vineyard church there. And so we were doing prayer ministry time at the end, and people came up to the, the front here, the altar area. People were getting prayed for. And as people are getting prayed for, these two gates go up, one over here and one over here. And those gates, there were, it was like a bar. And people were getting pints of beer. This is Sunday mornings, well, Sunday afternoon almost. And so everybody's getting pints of beer. And this guy, I'm praying for this guy. And then this guy with a pint of beer in his hand, no joke, he's sipping on his beer, has his hand praying for this guy at the altar. And you know, all my mind did is, how dare you? In my own self-righteousness, I said, how dare you? I, I passed every bit of judgment I possibly could. I, and yet, guess what? God used 
That man sipping his beer, praying, let your kingdom come on this guy. Let more of God, more of Jesus. And it was like, it threw me back. I didn't even know what to do with that. But guess what? Paul would have told me 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating nor drinking. We still, I mean, it's 2,000 years later, we still don't get that. So the church in Rome would not have taken it for granted that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking. Their dispute that they were going through was telling them that it was a matter of eating or drinking. You guys, the reduction of the kingdom of God to eating and drinking is like playing a Mozart piano concerto with one finger. Imagine how amazing that would be. It would be awful, right? The music's gone. You can't even recognize it. Guess what? When we reduce the kingdom of God to eating or drinking and rules and regulations, the message is gone. The message of Jesus is gone. Paul says the kingdom of God, the influence, the rule and reign, the nearness of God is not about that. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. According to Paul, human righteousness of any kind is a sham. A complete sham. The only righteousness is the faithfulness of Jesus loosed in the world through his act of sacrificial love on the cross. All who receive this gift are covered in a blanket of righteousness. So righteousness in Romans usually refers to the justifying action of God in Christ. Now the context here focuses more among the relationships among believers, so you could say more ethical righteousness, right behavior between community members uh, of believers is the focus. Uh, so a Cincinnati police officer once pulled over this truck, and a guy named Dave Johnson was inside. And the police officer asked for Dave's license, and Dave pulled out his license and gave it to him. And there was this nice little conversation, and the guy kept studying his license. And then finally Dave said, well, why did you pull me over? And um, he kept studying the license, and he, he finally the police officer said this, you were driving so carefully, I was certain you had an invalid license. <laughs> you guys like this driver? When we take on God's righteousness, all of a sudden, it, it's, it's not something that you have to cry really hard. It's almost like it's, it's like something you wear. You say, God, I am righteous because... You made that possible in my life. And all of a sudden, we become curious. We look curious to our community or even suspicious to the world when we embrace God's righteousness. So change your focus from striving, which too many Christians are constantly trying to strive to become something you can't in and of yourself, to accepting God's righteousness. Just accept it. Just say, I am righteous because you are righteous. And then we start to embody that. We start to live that out, but it's not something you can do in and of yourselves. So stop the striving. So not only is the kingdom of God a matter of righteousness, it's also a matter of peace, Paul says. Peace. 
when we drop all of our strategies of trying to prove ourselves more righteous than each other, when we cut off, so to speak, the judging hand that points the finger at those people over there, um, then we have peace and become communities of peace. And the potential for peace in a church community is amazingly good. But I do think what Paul talked about earlier needs to be dealt with, which is the judging aspect. And all of a sudden, if there's a judgment-free space, let me tell you, there is peace for you and I to move forward in our faith like nothing else because nobody's looking over our shoulders trying to, like, do this thing all the time, right? Righteousness and peace are essential characteristics of the reign of Jesus in our lives. So Paul says the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and one other thing, joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, did you know that joy is a fill-in, a stand-in for the Holy Spirit? And the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. Love, joy. Love and joy are two two sides of that spirit coin. The kingdom of God is a matter of. It's about that. It's about joy. You guys, what if that's so? What if God's project, God's task, God's job description, so to speak, is to bring you joy? What? What if that's what God is up to in your life during this season where we're constantly running frantically, where we're running on empty? What if God's job description is to bring you joy. Giving you the gift of righteousness found in the faithfulness of Jesus and the corresponding peace and all of that so that you can experience joy that God has in himself. And out of that joy, like you think about the joy that God has, I mean, the joy that burst forth in all of creation was was made. That kind of joy. What if God wakes up in the morning, so to speak, thinking, how can I lead my children at Foothill Vineyard into joy? How can I lead Jessica into joy? How can I lead Andy into joy today? How can I lead Roy into joy? How can I lead lead Susan into joy today? How can I lead Mary Jo into joy today? Insert your own name. Insert your own name there. What if you believed in the depth of your being that God is all about joy? What if you realize that the phenomenon that we call pleasure is fundamentally, in its essence, trustworthy? Sure, every pleasure can lead us astray. We we can become addicted to sex, wine, exercise, work. But what if that is just the exception that proves the rule? You guys, the theologians, everybody from... Jonathan Edwards, all the way to John Piper, say that God is the ultimate hedonist. Hedonist is someone who seeks pleasure. And God made us in his image. Because God is into joy, and he invites us into that joy. What if, guys? God is the joy-generating, joy-spreading, bliss-being who sings and dances and revels. What if? 
what if? Because we might be tempted to say, ooh, John, that sounds dangerous. I'm not sure I can believe that. But consider how that would change your view of God. So I grew up with believing that God was waiting for me to make a big mistake with this big stick, just waiting to beat me down. Well, guess what? I wish I learned about God's joy and the joy that God offers to us in His Spirit. It would have changed my perception. That would help us understand that God's good. (gasps) And that God is for our good. Are you kidding me? Yes, yes. Yes, look at this text. This is John 15, 9. I have loved you even as you have loved. The Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you, obey my, the, when you obey my commands, you remain in my love, just as I obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. I want to see Christians' joy overflowing, guys, this holiday season. And it can happen for me, and it can happen for you, and it can happen for Tom, and it can happen for all of us if we're willing to say yes to God's Spirit. It can happen. And actually, many, many theologians, many um, like people that really go in-depth, they would say that joy is like a home base for Christians. And, if, and I, think, I think there's something to that that we have to get, that God is all about joy, and he wants joy for you and your life, where you're at today. The kingdom of God, according to Paul, is about joy. Well, John, what about suffering then? Well, what does that look like? Uh, Suffering, Jesus didn't explain or solve suffering. He embraced it. He didn't seek it. He often acted to alleviate it. But when it was unavoidable, Jesus accepted suffering, right? He walked through suffering as we all must, but he did so with courage and grace and dignity. How? How did he do this? By turning on to joy, not by turning it off. That's how he did it. According to Hebrews 12.2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Because joy in the Holy Spirit is often set before us in the midst of suffering. Joy is set before us in the middle of it. And sometimes if we're more aware of the Spirit, all of a sudden we become alive. So this was Kurt's experience at home at Christmas, saddened by the sickness in his family, all that judgment and criticism in the middle of that suffering. Guess what? Joy. Joy, lingering joy in God's presence. Joy was set before him. It's joy in the Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Here's my last story, and then we're going to go through a couple practical tips today. Uh, Cynthia, she she lost her husband a couple years ago, and she was crazy in love with this guy. And um, uh, she describes, when she talks about the last week of his life, as his death was approaching, um, there's sorrow, but part of her story is also joy. So there's sorrow, but there's also joy. And people visiting got to say their goodbyes, and they laughed, and they cried together, uh, and they were talking, they were treasuring each other. 
um, about the little moments um, that they ha- got to share together. Um, her husband was on a bed in the living room, and he kept asking everybody that would come in, he kept saying, could you lift me up? And no matter how high they lifted him or how they situated his body, he kept asking to be lifted up higher. Please lift me up more. And um, finally, Cynthia understood that he wanted to go home. He wanted to be lifted up, and he just he kept asking for this. And um, her husband was aware of eternity in that moment. And he wanted to go. And so she said quietly this. She said, it's okay. I'll be okay. You can go. And at that moment, joy was set before him, and he went for it. Right then, right there. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating nor drinking. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So let me give you three practical tips today. Here's number one. Joy is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. Joy is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. Look for joy. And when it's revealed to you, focus on it. Focus on it. So I experienced a season where life was really difficult. And um, the city of Baton Rouge flooded. And I'm pastoring a church there. And as I'm pastoring this church, um, it was, we just went through the really, really difficult things. We had 19 families from the church that flooded. And through that season, I would put on a song, and my, I had a little daughter. Uh, her name was Remedy. She was like a, a, about a year old. And um, as I put on this song, I would hold her in my arms, and we'd just dance in the living room. And we just dance. And as I danced with my daughter through the living room, I was made aware of God's joy. And I don't even quite get it. I don't understand it. But there was something about the pleasure of God and me just dancing with my daughter in the living room that I experienced one evening after dinner. And you know what I did? It was this moment where I... Not only I was looking for joy because of the situation and how desperate the community and our church was in that moment, but guess what? I started to realize this is God and I need some more joy in my life. And guess what? I focused on it. And I started dancing a lot. Maybe, I mean, I, it was at least once or twice a day for a whole season, like nine months of my life. I danced with Remedy. And, um, and I experienced the joy of God. So when you find it, focus in on it. Focus in on that joy. Number two, in the face of suffering, ask Jesus to increase your awareness of joy in the Holy Spirit. In the middle of suffering, just like Jesus, in the middle of suffering, moved towards joy, um, we can also do that in the middle of suffering in life. And that's very important. 
because life can be really difficult. But look for joy even in the midst of suffering. And number three, remember true joy is found in God, not in the stuff we purchase. We don't need the next thing to be happy. We need more of God, more of the effects of God on our soul. And this is what is ultimately going to be crucial for you during this season. If you want to experience fullness of what God has in store for you during this Advent season, you've got to push into God, not just not the stuff. And so our society says it's just simply about the stuff. It's about one more present. Okay, I'm not anti-presence, but I am for Jesus and the kingdom of God and God's goodness and joy in your life. So, anytime there's that temptation to say, oh, it's about the stuff, it is not, tell yourself, no way, that is a lie from the enemy. It diverts us from true joy that is found in God. Let's all stand. We're going to sing this song together. Why don't we have our ministry team come on up? up. If you need prayer, we'd love to start to pray for you today. And a couple things. First of all, for some of you that are saying, you know what? Uh, I feel a lack of joy as a Christian. I want you to come get prayer because I think God wants to turn on the joy volume in your life. So if you need some joy and you're like, yeah, I, it's kind of foreign to me. I don't really quite get that.
Okay, my uh, daughter Haven's down the front row, and she took notes today on the sermon. Here's her sermon notes. Hope, there's a bullet point. Hope, love, joy, God, kingdom, righteousness, holy, kind, suffering, cross, revealed. Pretty good notes. <laughs> Let me uh, close in a word of prayer, but I want to encourage you guys, dive in what God has in store for you during this holiday season. Don't let the rat race beat you. Let joy come forth. Push into what the Holy Spirit's doing. And I, I guarantee when you push into what the Holy Spirit's doing, it's going to look like joy. It's going to look like righteousness, peace, and joy. So let me close in a word of prayer. Um, if you still need some prayer, there's prayer partners up front. They would love to pray for you this morning. So, Jesus, we just say thank you for your kindness and goodness. Lord, we thank you for joy and that you are a God that loves your creation to experience your joy. And so, God, as we, even, even in the middle of most, the most difficult things, we move towards joy, I pray that your spirit would come, that we'd become alive and experience joy like never before in this Christmas season. So, Spirit of God, come. We just say thanks. Thanks for your word. Thanks for life. Thanks for your kindness. Thanks for your church. Help us experience joy more and more. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Go be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Have a great day. Our free lunch outside, but if you need some prayer, get, come get some prayer.